All right, well, good morning, everyone. One good morning. I guess it's pretty good. Two, thank you. All right. Well, today we have a, a face most of you will be familiar with, but some of you may not. And I thought it'd be a good chance for uh, Brad to share a little bit about um, what's going on in the life of his church. For those of you who don't know, he's been part uh, of a replant kind of revitalization in Mount Pleasant. And so, uh, Brad, can you tell us a little bit about where you guys have been? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, we got connected with a church in Mount Pleasant called Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Over 130 years of history uh, in the neighborhood, it was planted by First Baptist, like, back in 1891. So kind of crazy, but very much like a long period of, of, you know, regression, needing new leadership, very much like, what's the future of this church? And we got connected in with a vision for kind of church planting, church replanting. And so we've been doing this work of building up a launch team and doing a lot of what you do for a church plant while simultaneously walking with this church towards change and what does it look like to bring change and how do we do that in a way that maintains unity and works with the people involved. And so it's been, it's been a crazy process. It's been a lot. Uh, it's been a serious journey and it's taken longer, I think, than we initially planned for. But it's a big week. Last last Sunday was the kind of formal congregational vote. Uh, as a Baptist church, it's the polity is everything operates with congregational vote. And so we had that last Sunday, and it went through with great numbers, and we're excited to now press forward with the next parts of the project. So, yeah, So uh, where are you guys going to be meeting? Uh, what are you guys called? All so, yeah, so part of the project is will be, will be called the Garden Church Mount Pleasant, and we'll be meeting at, uh, at a kind of an old chapel on 19th Street, Avenue Street, I can't even remember, wow, Avenue or Street, one of them, uh, it's the main How are they going to find it, man, if you can't tell them? 808 East 19th Avenue, okay. I'm almost okay. positive, okay. not Avenue. Uh, we'll fact check you later. The okay. main tenets of the, of the chapel are Reality Church, Vancouver, it's a meet in the morning, and our vision was always to do evenings and at least once a month, maybe a couple times a month, orient the whole gathering around the table and do dinner together and then kind of out of that have our, our time of worship and, and teaching and praise and all that. So yeah, we're excited about that. That'll begin just, to, we're kind of ramping up to a full launch then around Easter now. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's exciting time. It's really cool. One of the reasons why uh, we're trying to spend time inviting friends to share what's going on in the life of their churches is um, it's important to celebrate what God's doing in other uh, places in our city and to celebrate churches being revitalized or planted in our city. Um, the territory belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and, and any kind of like heartbeat that gets protective uh, over that kind of stuff is really unhealthy. We want to be the exact opposite by rejoicing when the Lord moves people to come to our city and do these types of things. And so I uh, didn't come from that far. He was in Coquitlam. Um, but uh, you, now you are in Mount Pleasant. And uh, I, I wanted to ask, what are some key ways our church could be supporting you guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, prayer support would be the biggest thing. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done and, and leading towards what's next and, and also work to be done walking with people who, who are still, you know, struggling with what this all means and, and what it means for their church they've been a part of for a long time. So praying with us would be super significant. Um, you can find online thegardenchurch.ca, a whole bunch of info, how you can be praying specifically, also how you can sign up to to hear kind of updates from us we kind of send a regular regular update about prayer po- touch points how you can be partnering with us in different ways so that's a great way to see what's happening yep. how you can support and come along 
Yeah. Because Brad's uh, too humble to say it, I know that they've raised uh, a good chunk of what they're trying to for their uh, plant, but not all their amount. So, uh, Brad, I'm just going to put you on the spot. How much is left that you guys need to raise? Well, we had a we had like a pre-launch uh, we had like a pre-launch goal of, and we were probably about fifty thousand left to raise. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. At this yeah. point. Yeah. So, if someone were interested and they just were like, "Man, I really want to support that happening," how would they do it? Same place. If you go to the website, if you go to the, the gardenchurch.ca, you'll okay. find all the info there, ways that links and ways that you can give, um, all that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Can I pray for you? Please. Yeah. Father in heaven, thank you for Brad. Thank you that he's coming to share uh, a word from you today. And we pray that as we hear it, we would be uh, people who are formed into the way of Jesus, that we look more and more like him, that we receive more of his love his purpose, his direction for our lives, but that we would also be people who express and demonstrate his love, his ways to the world and those around us. And we pray, Lord, for this thing you are birthing there at uh, what was once Mount Pleasant Baptist, now uh, the Garden Church. Lord, we ask that you would be leading those who are navigating um, these changes, a new season, but also the end of a previous one. Mm-hmm. Would you be with their congregation? Would you give their leaders wisdom? Would you supply all that they need? And we pray, Lord, that you'd continue to do a beautiful work in our city, that we would see our city renewed as people encounter Jesus Christ. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, Cascades. All right, that was okay. That was okay. We'll go with it. It's okay. My energy levels are low today, too. Uh, my, and I apologize in advance for that. My family's been sick all week, and I avoided it. The two kids and my wife, they were all sick, and I avoided it all week until yesterday. So here we are. So we're going to get through, but I apologize if my energy levels are low. Uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not a football person at all, so I totally forgot that was today until I saw this Kansas City Chief hoodie. So, you know, congratulations. You know, hope it goes well for you today. <laughs> go, go Taylor Swift's boyfriend or whatever we're supposed to say at that point, you know. <laughs> Excited to be here. Uh, always, as I say every time, it's always so good to be here at Cascades. I feel so welcome. I feel part of the family. Uh, except for when I walk in and I'm, you know, I get comments like, you again? And, you know, just teasing. Excited to, excited to continue and get the opportunity to preach and, and teach into your series you're in on emotionally healthy spirituality. Think it's significant. I think it's so important. I think it's a journey and conversations that far too many churches never have. Um, I think it's an element of our discipleship and our journey with Christ that so often is seen as just, you know, it'll happen as I go. And to invest intentionally in it and to open up, okay, what does God do at different stages of our lives and of our journey? And what do we need to do to partner with him in the work he's doing is so important. And so today I'm very excited to, to enter into that with you, having been deeply impacted by the book and the content around emotionally healthy spirituality. But today's not an easy one. Today is a topic we come to that's difficult to broach, it's difficult to talk about, and it's difficult for, for each of us in our own individual lives to grapple with. Um, and so as we enter into it and talk about enlarging our soul through grief and loss, I just thought I would open up with a word of prayer, just invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak through me, 
to move in this place and, and to bring comfort and peace as we go. So let's pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, thank you that no matter the topic of conversation, no matter the, the windows into our souls that we look through, the doors that we open that maybe we haven't wanted to open for a long time, Lord, we know that we do it in the presence of the Almighty God. We do it with the love and care and grace and comfort of a God who's with us in them, has been with us all the way along, and has beautiful things in store for us. Lord, you want us to grow in our maturity in you. You want us to become more like you. So I pray that through today and this continued series that you would continue to shine your light on the path and the direction that we're called to take to partner with you as you make us more like you, Jesus. We give it all to you. We pray that you would be at the center of all we say and do today, that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Owen, Owen has Down syndrome. Owen is Bob's son, and Bob is a dear friend of my Uncle David, who's a pastor in Ontario. And my Uncle David and I were recently having a conversation about different difficult circumstances you encounter as a pastor. And I think he was wanting to pass along wisdom and perspective to me as I set out on this crazy venture as a young pastor. And, and my Uncle David told me the story of recent conversations that he and Bob were having about Owen, his son. And Bob said that he and his wife, Michelle, had struggled a lot with grief when Owen was born. Part of their struggle was that they felt like they were grieving Owen, which they weren't, and that felt like it came with a lot of guilt. And so that compounded the situation, and they felt guilty about grieving their son, though he was healthy and with them. And they came to understand was that they were truly, what they were truly grieving was actually all of their, their own lost hopes and expectations for what Owen would be, that they had held in their mind. Owen was not likely to fulfill many of their specific expectations for the things that they projected onto him. They realized that this wasn't Owen's fault, it was their own. Their expectations and projections onto Owen were actually their own, to use their word, their own junk, not Owen's. And Bob said that when they realized that, and they were able to grieve and overcome their own stuff, their own junk, they were able to love and enjoy Owen as the beautiful boy he is on his own terms. Now, there's remarkable insight that Bob shared with my uncle, and then he passed on to me, and now I'll just continue the chain today with you. And the insight was, was striking to me as a young parent. It may be for many in the room, but the insight was that all parents grieve their unfulfilled expectations for their children. Lord knows my parents are still doing this. My mom wanted me to be a doctor. My dad was convinced he'd raised the first great Canadian national team star striker. All parents grieve their unfulfilled expectations for their children. They just usually spread that grieving and mourning over 20 or 30 years as their children grow up. Bob and Michelle 
we're actually able to mourn those losses up front. That then set them free to love Owen and love Owen beautifully on his terms and not their own. To love Owen for who he is and not who they always projected onto their son that he would be. And Bob and Michelle, as my Uncle David's telling me, grew and matured through this grief and loss that they experienced. They brought it to the Lord and they discovered that much of what they were mourning was just junk in their own hearts, not stuff in Owen himself. And they love their child, and they love their child so well and beautifully in a profound way. And I suspect that all this has shaped how they love their older daughter as well. But grief and loss and mourning are not bad things in and of themselves. In fact, we can grow tremendously through grief and loss if we allow God to use them to shape us and refine us to be like his son. Because the reality is, Jesus learned through grief and loss. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a famous story in the life of Jesus, where Jesus wrestled with God in prayer. And he prayed and he wept, crying out that he would not have to go through this upcoming suffering and grief that was ahead of him, that he would not have to go through the crucifixion. But even as he asked that the Father would, quote, take this cup from him, he then continued, but not my will, but your will be done. And these events are famously described in the Gospels, but they're also further discussed in the book of Hebrews, And we're going to take a look at briefly, a little brief piece of how they're discussed in the book of Hebrews. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read three verses that really form and direct our conversation around enlarging our soul through grief and loss in the way of Jesus. And I'm going to do a bit of explaining of the text after we read it. And then we'll talk a bit about what it means, kind of big picture. And then we'll take some time to apply it directly to us in our lives on this journey that we're on. And so Hebrews 5, I'm going to read verses 7 to 9. The writer writes this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And we'll leave it there. For context, the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus becoming our high priest. It's important context. And the process through which he was appointed to be our high priest— our mediator between us and the Father, was not based on Jesus' sonship. I think most of us would assume it's based on just who he is. He's eternally God. He's the Son of God. But this this passage tells us that him being our high priest was not based on his sonship, but it was based on his obedience. Maybe we've never thought of it that way before. I know I don't often hear it framed or taught that way. But this process that Jesus went on of obedience to become our great high priest, 
This process included grief and loss. It was not just based on his identity of being the Son of God, but rather than, rather than becoming our high priest through his relationship with the Father, Jesus' path was one of suffering. Suffering, obedience, and endurance. This was the path of Jesus. And in the garden, he prayed to the one quote from Hebrews, the one who could save him from death, we're told. And we're also told that he was heard. He prayed to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard. But was he heard? In our suffering, we often cry out, Can you even hear me, God? Am I being heard? Are you there? Jesus cried out to the one who could save him from death, and the text tells us he was heard. But was he heard? Didn't he die? <laughs> Didn't he die shortly thereafter on the cross? And it's very important to note that Jesus was saved from the eternal consequences of death. Jesus was saved through resurrection. But Jesus was saved on the other side of suffering rather than saved from suffering. It's an important note. Jesus was saved on the other side of suffering, not saved from suffering. We're told that he was heard and thus he was saved because of his reverent submission. That's what Hebrews 5 says. And reverent submission can be translated literally as fear of God or as piety. And piety is not a word we use much anymore. You probably don't hear it any given week. But it means religious devotion, spirituality, and humility, much of what we're talking about in this series. And fear of God does not mean abject cowering or terror or anything like that. Fear of God means healthy respect, a healthy respect for the Father. I remember when I was a kid, I did some horseback riding from time to time, and I remember being afraid of the horses. Timberline Ranch still haunts me to this day. But the horses were, were huge. They were powerful, much more so than I was, and I knew that they had a mind of their own. And so I had this very healthy fear of the horses, and yet I still got on and I still rode. It was a respect for their power. That's what I had. And in the same way, Jesus had this appropriate fear of God and a healthy submission to his Father as a response. And the, respond the Father responded to Jesus' cries because of Jesus' posture of complete submission and abandonment to the Father's will. He cries out, take this cup from me, Lord, if there's any other way. And yet, not my will be done, but yours. The Father responds to Jesus' cries because of Jesus' complete submission and abandonment to his Father's will. It was Jesus' humility, his complete reliance upon God and his submission to him that resulted in his salvation, not from death, but through death as resurrection. The question is, how often do we assume a posture of complete submission to God's will. Especially as things get difficult, especially as we endure suffering, grief, and loss. And we fight, and we cry out, but we often cry out in anger. We push back. We accuse. Which again, the Psalms show us, God invites, God invites this. But how often do we assume a posture of complete submission to God's will? 
See, that's the thing. Jesus is our exemplar, our perfect example to follow, not just because of who he is and has been in eternity, not just because he's the son of God, but also because of the path that he walked in his life with the father. Jesus' sonship did not make his path to being high priest an easy one. He still suffered and had to be obedient and cling to God even when it was most difficult. And we're told in verse 8 of Hebrews 5 here that Jesus, quote, learned obedience. He learned obedience. Now, hear me on this. This doesn't mean that he had been disobedient and then he learned obedience. That's the path that I hope my daughter takes. But that's not the path that Jesus took. Rather, it means that he arrived, to quote George Guthrie, who's a professor at Regent, that he, quote, arrived at a new stage of experience of obedience. That Jesus learned obedience means that he arrived at a new stage of experience of obedience. You could say that Jesus graduated from the school of suffering with a new experience of obedience. And to continue in Hebrews 5, this is what led to the perfection that's talked about in verse 9. Perfection The word perfection carries with it a sense of completion. That Jesus was perfected means that he finished the course. He finished that course. He walked to the end of the path laid out for him. And this completion, this perfection, led to the resurrection. And the resurrection opened up the way of salvation for all the rest of us. If we obey Jesus... That is, if we're willing to walk the path of obedience that Jesus walked and led the way. The path of complete submission of our own will to the will of God. And the question is, are we willing to submit our will and our understanding, our conduct and allegiance, even our greatest questions that feel unanswered in the midst of pain and suffering, to God, even if it means walking the path of suffering as Jesus walked? That's the question from this text. And so now I want to pivot a little bit to talk just a little bit about what it means. Big picture. What does all this mean? And then we'll get to the application for us at the end. There's a lot going on here. And so let's look a a little closer at what it means. And the first thing I think it's important to ask in almost any text, especially ones that are talking about Jesus, is what does this teach us about Jesus? What does this teach us about Jesus? Well, Quite plainly, it teaches us that Jesus deserves our praise. He walked this path to the end. He ran the race and he finished. He graduated from the program. He completed the mission. Without Jesus' perseverance, we would not have the road of salvation opened to us. And frankly, what Jesus persevered through on the road of suffering was beyond what any of us endure or could imagine being asked to. So Jesus deserves our praise. This is not groundbreaking stuff. But secondly, Jesus can identify with us in our suffering and our temptation. As we walk this journey, as we pursue emotionally healthy spirituality that grapples with the reality of grief and loss and comes through at the other side as more open and whole people, we can remember that Jesus can identify with us in this suffering and temptation and grief. This is why he's such a great high priest. This is why he's such a great mediator between us and God, because he knows what it's like to grieve 
and to suffer, to be tempted and to endure. So he can represent us to the Father so perfectly well. He's not up there with the Father trying to translate something for us to the Father, like in a language that's foreign to him and he's grasping for words to explain it. No, he can be our perfect mediator and our perfect companion because he understands the language of suffering perfectly, far better than we do. It's a native tongue to Jesus. And Jesus also sets an example for us in perseverance. See, I think grief and loss so often overwhelm us. And we're led into temptation to, to curse God and die, in the words of Job's wife. We're tempted to abandon God or to stop submitting to him and take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to abandon the faith because God has not lived up to our expectations. Frankly, God's let us down. But Jesus persevered. And in Jesus, we see that perseverance teaches obedience and we complete the mission. We run the race. We walk the path to the end that God has laid out for us. In the end, we are perfect, perfected or completed. We graduate from the program. And finally, grief and loss teach us how to submit our will to God's. I think it's great to look at Jesus' prayer and let it frame our own. He made his requests. He made his request boldly. He cried out that the cup would be taken from him. But he made his bold requests always in the context of submission. And yet not my will, but yours be done. And this shows a, a certain maturity in prayer, I think. So often our prayers are centered on, on our will. Bless me, hear me, heal me, answer me, provide for me. The list goes on and on. And these prayers are important to pray. We're actually invited to pray these prayers. But they're most frequently about God doing our will, right? But with Jesus, it was entirely the other way around. It was entirely the other way around. It was, God, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. And yet, not my will, but yours be done, whatever that requires. And I think the question is, especially in the context of grief and loss, how do we learn to submit to God's will? How do we learn to do that? Are we willing to submit to God's will when, to quote H.A. Hodges, the feelings are dried up, and there's nothing left but the naked will clinging blindly to him. It's a place many of us have been. It's a familiar place and a difficult one. And it's in those places that we have to ask the question, are we willing to submit to God's will? When the feelings are dried up and there's nothing left but the naked will clinging blindly to him. It's through this kind of struggle, this clinging to God, that we are purged of our vanity and our conceit, and we're trained in pure love. This is the work of suffering and grief and loss. And so to finish our time with some application that I hope is helpful, there, there's, a major, there's one major level, I think, for us to apply this message today, and it's the level of each of us as individuals, people going through grief and loss, which all of us can relate to or will relate to at some point. That's a promise. 
And there are lessons here also about discipleship and evangelism that we must not miss. Questions of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? But I really want to hit home applying this to the level of the individual. Because that's kind of the journey that we're on here in this series. But what I think is so important to realize, and I really want to hit this home, is that grief and mourning are not in themselves bad things. Grief is not evil or bad. It is very unpleasant. (laughs) And there's a world of difference between those two things. In the West, you could say we've become allergic to discomfort. Comfort and ease have become our gods. So when things get tough, we rebel, we shy away, we hide. We avoid grief and loss like the plague. And when we experience it and endure it, it usually calls into question all the things that we thought we knew about God or believed. And oftentimes it leads to throwing all of that away. And this is a grave mistake. See, grief and loss, and that's the point of this this part of this journey, grief and loss can be pathways into deeper intimacy with God. They can be paths to refinement, paths to obedience, and to being made more like Jesus. God brings new life through pain and even through death. And we must not deny or stuff down or avoid grief in our lives. Some think that being a Christian means always being joyful or at least presenting ourselves as always being joyful. And they cite verses like, Rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances. But rejoicing in the Lord actually means finding joy in the Lord in all circumstances, even bad and painful ones. Not pretending that they're not, but finding joy in the Lord in them. It doesn't mean that we think bad circumstances are actually good or pretend that they are. Jesus never taught us to stuff down, deny, or ignore grief and loss. Read the psalmists as they cry out and lament It's not the model we've been given. It's not the model that Jesus walked. Paul even commands in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are to experience mourning, grief with one another, and to join together in times of loss to express our grief in community. It doesn't mean don't be sad. That's not the lesson. Jesus himself expressed grief multiple times throughout his life. He expressed grief over Jerusalem as he sat and overlooked it. He expressed grief over the crowds who were like sheep without shepherds. He expressed grief over the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus identifies with us in our grief. Times of grief and loss are not times to withdraw from God. I have many friends who have been hit with incredibly difficult things in their lives, and in so doing have isolated themselves from community and from God. And the lesson here is that times of grief and loss are times when God can refine us in his image. They are not times to withdraw from God. Rather, they're times to draw near, to press in. Many people reject God or move away from him in times of grief. They think that God's abandoned them, God's not lived up to their expectations. He's let them down. And they can't reconcile that God who loves them would allow them to go through this. And maybe these are questions, maybe these are cries that you've cried out in your own life. But God allowed his own son down the path of suffering 
in order to bring glory and salvation through resurrection. And he can bring all of those things to our lives if we obey him and cling to him through grief and loss. There's resurrection at the end of it. And in doing so, as we cling to him, our souls are enlarged and we move toward maturity as followers of Jesus. So times of grief and loss may seem odd and difficult to think this way or to say this, but they're opportunities because they are promised. And I'm sure for each of us sitting in this room, we can acknowledge that they exist in life. There's no avoiding them. Times of grief and loss will come. But there are opportunities. There are opportunities to bring these things before God, to bring them to him. There are opportunities to learn submission and obedience. There are opportunities to surrender to God and to be matured to be like Christ. Are we good at reverent submission? I'd say naturally probably not. Are we a lot better at being strident in our demands? God, take this cup from me. I think we're probably a lot better at that part. In another garden, the Garden of Eden, the original sin was fueled by this desire to be like God instead of submitting to him. So often we want to be in charge. We have the narrative that we think makes sense about our lives. We want to be in charge even of God and dictate to him what he should allow us to endure. What life that is fair should entail what we should be allowed to go through and what we should not be allowed to go through. But we see in Jesus that the road to intimacy with the Father is the road marked with suffering. That's the road that Jesus trod. So we can actually enlarge our soul through grief and loss. We can become closer to God and refine to be more like his son when we endure grief and loss by bringing them to God, submitting to him, and enduring by clinging to him more tightly. Grief and loss are also stark signs of our own limits. They remind us that we, in fact, are not God. Again, referring back to Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God, but we're not. They weren't. And that was their sin, to take matters into their own hands in order to be in charge, to try to put themselves into God's position. But we are not God. And there are limits placed on us which bring grief and loss. We all have physical limits. There are limits on our time, on our talents, on our resources, on our intellect. If you remember Owen from the beginning of my, of my message, his limits were more immediately visible to his parents, which compressed their grieving time. But the truth is we all have limits placed on us. If nothing else, we will all die. That's a limit placed on all of us. We have limits that lead to grief and loss. It's inevitable. And the reality is that we need to embrace these limits and stop trying to be God and let God be God. This is how we learn humility and submission. Walk in the path of Jesus. Go through that course. Learn the lesson of obedience. Often God uses these limits, these periods of grief and loss, to shine the light on our heart in a place we would never think to look. This has certainly been true of my own story. And if we cooperate, God can use these times to shed light on places in us that he wants to bring to fuller maturity with his help. 
We might never look there if it wasn't for grief and loss, but grief and loss brings things to the surface we may never have looked for ourselves. And quite honestly, to bring this home, I think for each of us, much of the grieving that we end up needing to do in our lives, and I think we all need to hear this, much of the grieving that we need to end up doing in our lives is grieving the losses of what we always thought or dreamed our own lives would look like. This is part of the human story. This is part of maturing in life, is learning to grieve the loss of what we always thought or dreamed or hoped our lives would look like. Grieving the loss of a dream. Grieving unrealized expectations. And if we're honest, we can probably all think of some people in our lives. Many people refuse to go through this process of grieving these losses, and they live with the, the crushing despair of unfulfilled dreams. It's a common story. And this ends up causing more and more grief and pain in their life in the present because they will not go through the process of grieving these losses, and the, cru- the unfulfilled dreams crush them. This is the root cause of midlife crisis. It's a classic story. But grief and loss is a necessary and soul-opening part of life because it allows us to let go of that which we are not or that which we have not, maybe that which our life is not. It allows us to let go of those things. And not to sound so depressing, it allows us to embrace all which we are all that we have, all that our life truly is, and all that we truly hold dear and all that God is doing in us and through us in the present. But we need to grieve and mourn the losses first. And this is where I reiterate that it's a beautiful promise from God that in all of this, in this whole journey, grieving these many losses and deaths in our lives that sounds very intense, Grappling with life as we know it versus life we always thought would be. In all of this, Jesus, our high priest, is with us the entire time. And he knows and he understands. And he knows and he understands not just because he's God and he created us, so of course he knows and understands. No, he knows and understands because in the garden he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. He knows and understands because it's the path he trod. And it's really an invitation to walk your journey of grief and loss with your high priest, with your mediator between the Father and you. That's the invitation. It's the invitation in grief and loss in life to see it not as necessarily bad, but to see it as an opportunity, an invitation to walk your journey of grief and loss and mourning with him. And it's really that simple an explanation. I don't, I don't come this morning bearing some three steps to do grief right. I'm not there yet. Don't know if I ever will. But this invitation is such an important one to just sit in. This invitation of walking your journey of grief and loss with your high priest, with Jesus who led the way on this path. Because the reality is that journey is there for each of us. 
And I don't know each individual person in the room today. I don't know what you carry, what you're bringing. I don't know where on your journey of life you find yourself. I don't know, maybe you're still grieving loss of dreams. Maybe you haven't gone down that road just yet. Maybe you're still crying out to God. How can you be the God who can save me from death and you hear me and yet? How can you be the God who's all powerful and good and let me go through these things? Maybe you're in a a moment in your life where reverent submission is difficult, but so necessary. There are losses you need to mourn and grieve. The invitation is to walk those things with your great high priest who understands through experience and obedience the suffering we go through and so much more. And I want to close with this. Grief and loss, while I've talked this whole time about how they're inevitable, they're part of life. We all need to walk them and they're not necessarily bad. The important thing to remember is grief and loss are also signs that the world is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be. And until Jesus returns, sin will still reign in the world. Sin will still hold sway over us and in us. We have been saved, but we are still looking forward to being saved. All of creation still groans for redemption, for the return of Christ, and for resurrection on the other side of suffering. Sin entered the world through human disobedience, and to deny grief and sorrow and loss is frankly to deny sin and its effects. Jesus grieved over Jerusalem, over the crowds, over Lazarus' death. We too should grieve over the things that grieve God's heart. And again, as we do so and we walk this grief with our great high priest, our souls are enlarged, our hearts are grown, and we grow toward maturity in Christ. So I invite you into that journey with your high priest. Allow, allow the seasons and the times of grief and mourning and loss in your life to be times of enlarging your soul because God wants to draw you into deeper places with him as you grieve along with him. Let me pray for us and we'll move into communion. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, it's a, it's a somber and sobering, sobering word to be reminded that part of this life, part of this journey, part of this journey toward being emotionally healthy people who are following you, Jesus, is to acknowledge that part of this life is facing grief and loss and mourning. Lord, that there are deaths to mourn throughout life. That we are inherently limited. We are, we are birthed and created with limitations. We are not God. And that brings with it so many points along the journey where we need to grieve our losses. Lord, in that, we just thank you and praise you that we know the God who created us, who is limitless. The God who showed us how to walk with reverent submission, how to walk the path of obedience, the path of suffering with obedience and love. And you walk ours with us. Your path of suffering took you all the way to the end, Jesus. It took you all the way to the cross. 
And on the other side of that path of suffering, it took you to resurrection and you invite us into resurrection. So Lord, I pray that we would continue to walk our own paths with you. That we would accept your invitation into the deepest places, the deeper places of your love and your heart for us as we endure our limitations and our losses in this life. May you make us more like you, Jesus, as we follow your example. We pray all this in your name. Amen. It's a fitting way to move into communion.